I also like the idea of developers onboarding security teams around how the app works and what to look for in the logs. When you have good security logging and understanding between your security and developer team, you get some really impressive intelligence about when you're being attacked in real time. And especially for high-risk applications, I want to know in real time when I'm being attacked so I can take action. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, hackers of all ages, welcome to the future of application security, a podcast dedicated to the innovative leaders looking to build out modern AppSec programs. I'm your guest host, Eric Sheridan, Chief Innovation Officer at Tromso. In this podcast, we meet with industry leaders to talk about their boots on the ground experience building out these modern AppSec programs so we can all learn from their experience. With that said, let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of the Future of Application Security, where I'm going to chat with speakers at the Developers and Security Are Friends Day, a free full-day training event for developers and security professionals in the areas of application, product, and cloud security. Hey, everyone. I have with me Jim Manico, founder and CEO of Manico Security. Jim, how you doing, buddy? Eric Sheridan. It's I've known you what for like sixteen or so years now. It's been a long time. It's really good to be here with you, Eric. It's good to see you at this at this yeah. show. Well, I gotta say, like uh, you're looking quite well, man. What are you doing, like to kind of keep yourself in shape these days? Well, when you knew me, I was like around, like three hundred pounds. I peaked up around three hundred twenty pounds, and I'm like, my doctor was like giving me injectors for type two diabetes so I can like shoot myself up for eating ice cream. And I'm like, ah, oh, geez, there's gotta be a better way. Yeah. So like probably about five years ago, I started doing like a yoga on a daily basis. It's something I've done for a lot of my life, but I started getting really serious about it. Started adding like weightlifting and walking and running and being more active. And then a couple of years ago, I started doing like a ketosis diet, which is just like, you know, meat, low carb vegetables without a lot of sauces, sauerkraut, kimchi, eggs, a little bit of cheese. And I've, I've just been really religious about it on a really regular basis. And I dropped about, I don't know, 120, 130 pounds. And I've kept it off. But more importantly, like, I stopped all my diabetic medication. And I went from being, like, fat to, like, lean to fit. Now I feel like I'm lifting weights. I'm strong. I'm doing headstands and, uh, and awesome. hand balances and all kinds of, like, tumbling and gymnastics. And You could do headstands? Yeah. Want to see? Yeah. Okay. All right. You got other way. Sorry. Yeah. Let me get all the way. All right, folks. This Manico, you with a hot stance. So this, you know, not bad for not bad for fifty years old, but it's a far cry from like you know my fitness when you knew me. Like sixteen years sixteen years ago, I feel like I was older than I am now from all the the yoga practice, Ashtanga and vinyasa style yoga. Well, that's, I appreciate you do, doing the headstand. I think that's the first on this podcast we've ever had a headstand. So that's pretty cool. There we go. Well, I'm jumping right into it because I know your background and right I bet the audience already knows too, but for the sake of completeness, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Okay. Jim Manico, I've been a software developer since the late 90s and I went right into web development. So I've been doing web and API development mostly for like manufacturing companies, banks, software companies for like, what, 26, 27 years now. And probably about like, about 10 years ago, I switched careers from being a pure developer. I still code my own projects. I maintain some old systems for a few banks, but now I'm primarily an educator. So I've taken my experience as a developer, written over 6,000 slides in labs, and I'm the founder of a company called Manicode Security, we are a pure play, secure coding education firm, 
and myself and my team of professors just travel around the country, travel around the world, or use Zoom to teach software security classes primarily to software developers. And Eric, it's something I love doing because I can combine like two parts of my personality, the, the engineer in me, the software engineer in me, something I've been doing since I was 12 years old on a Commodore 64 writing code. Nice. And take like like my showmanship. Like I'm a, you may not realize this, but I'm kind of like a attention seeking, <laughs> like loud kind of person. Yeah, you know that. I did theater when I was younger. Yeah. I like attention. I like, you know, I like, I have a broad personality. It doesn't always work in the world, but in the classroom as an educator, that part of my personality works really well because people expect a monotone engineering professor and I show up and I'm anything but. I put a show on in addition to giving like good engineering information. So I get to combine like both halves of my personality in the classroom. And I'm actually a fourth generation professor in my family. My great grandfather was a college professor in Sicily. I didn't know this. My grandfather was a was a high school professor and historian in upstate New York. And my father is a college professor and I'm fourth generation professor in my family. I learned something new about yeah, you. That's right pretty on. cool. Well, I can say that energy you bring to your live training classes. I've yeah, having worked in 18 plus years in application security, I've seen a lot of presentations, delivered a lot of presentations. The energy you bring to your live classes, there's no one who could top you. So like, that's my hat off and kudos to you, my friend. That means a lot uh, to me, Eric. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, awesome at presentation. So you and I are both fans of professional wrestling. You knew this was coming, right? <laughs> I'm not sure I have acknowledged your fandom of professional wrestling. I'm not sure if I'm a fan, but I'm going to go Excellent. with it. Yeah. I'm going to go with the woo. I'm going to go Excellent. with it. There you go. So, you know, we're talking about developers and we're talking about security. If you had to make an analogy, what professional wrestler is a security person most like? And then what professional wrestler is a developer most like? Well, that's a really hard question for me. So give me the two. So security versus developer, right? Yeah. Yes. So who would be like a, a developer? Wow, that's a really hard one. I would say a developer is kind of like Andre the Giant, right? Because he's kind of slow, methodical, but he's like a force of nature. He gets it done every single time. He doesn't do it elegantly. He doesn't do it fast. But he's the big guy always wins, and he gets the job done. That's kind of like the developer in my mind. The other one is who's a security person. The Manico kind of security people in my world is a little bit different than the traditional security people. Yeah. The Manico security people are like loud, dynamic professors who like get up and put a show on to encourage people to get security done. That's more of Hulk Hogan. That's more there like you go. Hulk Hogan. He's, he's out there. He's like, he's always motivated. He's always caffeinated. He's like, he's never calm. Yeah. That's the Manico way. That's the security person right there. I love what you did with that. That you hit that out of the park, my friend. Thank you, sir. Thank yeah. you. It's a hard. That's actually yeah. a hard question. Yeah, it is a hard question, and um, you know those two actually faced each other quite a bit. Oh yeah, uh, in yeah. the past. So it, that analogy works more well than perhaps the audience knows. I'm <laughs> that's I grew up. I grew up to that when I was a kid. I remember. I remember that WrestleMania 18. I remember yeah. that <laughs> stuff like that. Well, very cool. Well, so I mean, you deliver a lot of training classes covering a number of topics, but I think. Earlier today, you were talking about like the OS Top 10, for example. Yeah, the OS Top 10 has been around for a while. It's gone through various iterations. Kind of what's your take on the topics in the Top 10 and how much they changed or not changed over the years? Well, I think the change is fairly modest. Like big changes this year or this iteration are things like server-side request forgery. Didn't have a lot of data behind it, but it had a lot of like 
in the field experience that it was a big problem. And when I asked the audience, a lot of offensive testers in the back were like, there are individuals who have over half a million dollars in successful bug bounty awards from server side request forgery alone. So even though the data doesn't back it up from 2021 when we first put it in the top 10, now that we look at it a year or two later, absolutely server side request forgery, which is tricking a server into making a request or loading a resource maliciously from the, giving the server a payload that causes the server to do some action it wasn't intending to do from a malicious point of view. Now that we look at that, that was really a good choice because the in the real world, that is an extremely common bone and problem that causes real world security issues. Let's go back to number one, though. Number one is kind of awkward, access control. That's a boring topic, right? But all the data shows that real world access control problems are by far in the top 90% of issues that we see in web security events and web security vulnerabilities and web security data of all different kinds. So why is that? Why would something as boring as access control, which first shows up in like the late 60s in, in multi-user machines and similar, right. things we've known about for more than our lifetimes, why is that number one? And there's two reasons. Number one, all of us are making the call to do DevOps and DevOps is going to save us. And DevOps is a way to do security testing. And yet there's no automated tool that reliably can discover access control problems because access control is not a standard. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. What? You're saying there's, there's security tools cannot do completely comprehensively access control? Not at all. In fact, the entire world of application security scanning from dynamic scanning to IAST to static analysis to software composition analysis, none of these tools, in fact, these tools are useless at finding access control problems in your custom code because access control is not a common vulnerability that's common across our software like SQL injection. A SQL injection is a SQL injection. These tools find that pretty reliably, but access control is all about custom business logic. So I have a report. The roll-up report 3B is one of my API endpoints. How do I know if that's for administrators? Is that for managers? Is that for team leads? Is that for everybody? And how do you know that? You have to look at the business document, the business requirement. And how's your business requirements? They're usually not up to date from an access control point of view. So you go to the business owner or the product owner. Oh, wait, they left six months ago. There's a new guy there. So what do you do? We have to make some educated guesses as a penetration tester. And for a tool, they are clueless about the context of what the access control rule should be. So let me say it again, yeah. the entire world of DevOps and DevSecOps and CICD class security scanning, it's useless at finding the number one problem in the OWASP top 10, which is broken access control. And that's why this is such a major problem in the world today. So one of the reasons I'm laughing for the audience that doesn't know is um, I actually spent the last 10 plus years building all the types of testing tools that you just mentioned. And I can affirm this man's statement that access control is a really hard thing to automate because everybody does it differently. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, like the best thing you can shoot for is like, you know, hopefully they use like a frameworks, you know, built-in patterns, but like how many people are actually using, you know, third-party you know, open source frameworks to ex express their access control? More often than not, it's not sufficient for their business needs and they have to do something different to your point. And your tool might be able to tell you 
like what roles can access what features or what user groups can access what features. And you might be able to get that far in a tool, but what you're never going to get to is understanding what the business actually intended, right? What the actual business requirements were for those rules. So the rules that you might discover in a tool, how do you prove that that's what the business intended? And that's the disconnect. So you can program into the tool on an app by app basis, what the rules actually should be and then scan. But let me quantify and clarify my statement, but the actual turnkey out of the box tools yep. that don't have the context of your business requirements for access control, Eric, they're useless. At finding broken access control in custom software. Yeah. So broke is that broken access control is definitely a big one. Um, I want to go back to server-side request forging. Absolutely. That was, that was interesting because like SSRF has been around for years. For sure. But like why now? Why in the past recent few years is like SSRF now something that, you know, for example, you're talking about? Let's go back to the beginning of, of AppSec when you and I started, when the common app was a web application that's using a database, right? Yeah. Well, that's one server that's not really doing a lot of outbound requests. That's a server that's talking to a database, doing some kind of business forms or similar, maybe talking to an e-commerce gateway, but that was basically it. Today, the way apps are built is fundamentally different. I may have, like if I'm using the, the BFF backend for front-end pattern in a microservice architecture, I have a proxy server, I have an identity server, I have all these other microservices. So now when I make a request to one endpoint, it's going to hop between other services within the microservice mesh. And because of that truly not like end-tiered type of architecture of multiple services, now if I'm going to make a request to one service, there's almost always functionality built in for that primary service to make another request to another service in, a, in an end-tiered way. And we probably saw that 15 years ago where I had like one public API and then one backend API. But now that's to the nth degree now. Now we have a collection of microservices. And the way this attack works is it's exploiting the fact that your server has some kind of functionality to make another internal or another a B2B request as a result of your user request. So because of that functionality is there, it's easily exploitable. Yeah. Like we saw the Capital One hit where there was a parameter that was another URL and that URL just had to be valid. The attacker who exploited this modified that parameter, which is like a news article, and changed that parameter to be an Amazon Web Service configuration file local to that server. And the code checked, is this a valid URL? Yes, it is. Oh, geez. And then the server loaded and embedded that configuration file into the Capital One website. And the attacker was able to extract a security token to get access to the AWS console admin console for Capital One, navigate to the S3 bucket and steal 100 million credit card applications. And so because of the way that apps are built today, server-side request forgery is much more of a real weaponizable attack than it was back in the website database era that we started our career at. I think you hit on a few great points. I just want to highlight, like one is the number of additional connections. So like a distributed microservices architectures, we have like umpteen number more connections going on, which means umpteen more number of opportunities to make the mistake. And the second thing is you provide an example of like AWS API, AWS web service. There's like a common set of URLs that people try and test for when they test for SSRF, but if everybody's cloud native, right? There's the Kubernetes API, there's the AWS API, 
there's an increased set of common targets that people can go after and they're pretty juicy. Absolutely. So, and even if it's not a common target, maybe I could just load other data that is going to cause a server harm in a variety of different ways, or maybe make an outbound request to one of my servers. Maybe that server is going to make a request to some kind of script and run it as part of its operation. Well, I could set up a script over on my server, fake out that parameter and have the server load my script and run my script. And now I got command injection through server-side request forgery. We saw that in the Microsoft Exchange world not too long ago. Yeah. So speaking of the top 10, are there any entries in the top 10 that you're maybe kind of surprised are still there? You know, at first I didn't like the whole idea of security logging. Yeah. I thought it was like, it's a small issue, but no, it's not. So I, I actually agree with the logging entry because I want visibility into when servers are getting attacked. And typically developers don't do good security logging. And even if they do, they're not onboarding security teams to know what to look for. So I like the combination of security driving what they want logged. There's a cheat sheet, the logging vocabulary cheat sheet at the OWASP Foundation that gives you some starting events to look at. I also like the idea of developers onboarding security teams around how the app works and what to look for in the logs. When you have good security logging and understanding between your security and developer team, you get some really impressive intelligence about when you're being attacked in real time. And especially for high-risk applications, I want to know in real time when I'm being attacked so I can take action. Absolutely. So the event we're at here today is called Developers and Security Are Friends Day. And I'm highlighting that because you just provide an example where you said, look, you know, we want the engineering team to onboard the security team onto how the application works. Out of all my discussions so far today, it's been very much focused on what the security team can do to engage the engineering or developers. You just provide an example where developers can engage security. Can you maybe elaborate on that, maybe how it works or what, what you're seeing in the field in that context? Most of the time, developers, they do some logging, they kick their app to security teams, and security teams use a bunch of tools to monitor those logs. Now, that's a big disconnect because especially for companies with large number of applications and large inventories, they're not per se onboarding the individual apps. They're just tossing the logs into different security tools like the Splunks and the Seams of the World yeah. and looking for obvious attack events. That's a missed opportunity. Developers, when they're working with security teams, number one, they're taking security's advice and logging very specific security events like the impossible travel problem in session management or server-side access control violations or indirect object reference violations and similar really obvious you're under attack kind of problems, right? Yeah. I log every single authentication event, every password attempt, every multi-factor attempt, log all that stuff. And when the developer is explaining to security teams exactly how the app works, what they're logging from a security context, and they fine tune that together, and that's part of the onboarding, uh, security teams know exactly what logs to ignore, what to focus on, and especially if it's a security-specific log, when the alert does happen, it's not something that security teams need to consider as something they know is a worthy event to take action on right away if that onboarding of the logs and the application is done in an effective way. Just kicking logs out to a security team is not the best way to do it. And this is not easy at scale, but when you do do that, the visibility that your security teams have into the app is dramatic and developers need to onboard security to get this right, in my opinion. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a very clear efficiency gains there by doing that. And I've got to believe that when something like that happens and they have those wins, 
has to foster some greater connectivity and collaboration between the two teams to do some other things. Are you seeing that in the field? You know, the goal was for security and developers to merge together in a true DevOps environment. And I don't really see that ever happening, like ever. More realistically, what I see is, especially for a big company, is, is DevOps as a service, right? Where you have your developer teams, because if you're a good developer, I want you to keep writing code. Then I have like a DevOps team that's a liaison between the developers and the security that are maintaining the, the dev pipeline, the actual CI/CD pipeline. Yeah. Then you have security teams that are both working with the DevOps teams and working with developers to make sure they're consuming all that information. And this is like a Venn diagram where all three of these teams merge together. I do like DevOps as a service for a big company because if you have everyone melded together in certain teams, there's a lot of waste going on. Yeah. But if you have a dedicated team or dedicated set of developers who are maintaining pipe pipeline that are across multiple software teams and they're working close with security, that seems like a much more efficient and cost-effective way to actually build out the dream of DevOps. But like they hold the magic of, oh, your developers, your pipeline creators, and your security team, oh, they're all merged into one. I, I don't buy into that. That's often an inefficient way to go about things. I want some dedicated DevOps experts. You're great at React. Why do I want you managing logs? I want you to keep working on React. So the specialties are important for efficiency. And I really think, especially in a big company, it's DevOps as a service that really wins from the efficiency quality point of view. That's not a common opinion, but this is my, my two cents from what I see in the field. Well, it may not be common, but it's pretty grounded in reality. Like, you know, when people got to get their job done and get things done, you know, they can't fulfill the idealistic world of, hey, you know, we're all going to do this together kind of thing. Right? Sometimes you need to specialize in certain areas. Absolutely. So, you know, at Manicode Securities, you're, you're doing live training for a whole bunch of, you know, Fortune 500 companies. One of the things that I think is cool about that is you have your pulse on the topics and issues that you know security teams out there are concerned about. What are some of the topics you're hearing about these days you know, that people are asking for training on that uh, they're concerned about? I get a lot of ask for, you know, surprisingly, I built out a lot of mobile content and built out and have a few mobile professors. I rarely get asked for mobile security. It happens once in a while, but it's the least common of all the asks. And I, I was surprised by that. And the thing I'm getting asked for more is, cloud security, like my AWS course, my Azure course, they get a huge uptick, especially last year. It was like a giant, giant uptick in people and developers wanting to understand how to configure these cloud environments in secure ways. I wasn't expecting that to be such a huge increase. Now this year though, I just built and just completed a course on artificial intelligence security. Like a hundred, I'm up to like 120 slides so far of really detailed content. And I pushed this out to my customer base and to the internet. And I got like immediately 30 bookings. People want to talk about AI security, things like prompt injection, poisoning the models, stealing data out of models and similar. And I don't think it's really difficult information. It's just, it's bleeding edge and the hunger to get that course in is huge. And I'm in fact, the need for it is so huge, I'm expanding my, I'm gonna build a whole eight, eight hour full day course on it and oh, keep wow. going okay. because the detail people are asking for is more and more. And I didn't expect that. Usually I, I build a course and you know, little by little people order it. The moment I minted this course, I got like 30 bookings of people wanting like a half day on or a full day on AI security. That surprised me, but it's exciting. It's new content. It's yeah. new talks on the circuit. It's something fresh for me. So 
I feel like it's it revitalized my business in a lot of ways to have a whole brand new course that I put out myself. That's really cool. And I, you know, I, I like the fact, you know, that you're constantly learning and trying to like grow into all these various topic areas. Cause like, you know, AI still very, very new topic area, especially in security. And so like the jump on, on that is uh, pretty cool. But my last name is true to my form, right? My last name is literally manic with an O. And so like, you know, I was just talking to a friend of mine. I typically don't like plan things out. I just do. Yeah. It's like one day I'm like, I need an AI security course. And I spent eight hours working on it that day. Because So I just like, I gun, I go, I charge. That's not always the best life strategy, especially in personal relationships. <laughs> but um, <laughs> But in terms of business, while a lot of my competitors are thinking about it, yeah. I'm done with it and practicing it in front of a mirror for a few days. So I'm ready to deliver content. So I like that because the point is, even though I'm a professor and an ILT instructor led training, my main job is to be a good student. And I'm constantly reading and studying and absorbing and messing with code and experimenting in order to be a legitimate professor. And so I, I'm like the eternal, I'm, I'm 50, Eric, and I still have like, like the energy and behavior of a college kid who's like, except for the drinking part, you know, I'm, I, I, I don't drink, which is rare at OWASP, right? A bunch of alcoholics, all of you, but like, <laughs> I don't drink, I don't do drugs, I eat a healthy diet, I exercise rigorously, and I study on a daily basis as much as I can absorb. And honestly, it's a good life. It keeps me young, keeps me feeling young, keeps me relevant in the field, keeps me manic. I like being manic, Eric. I like the high energy. Yeah. Oh, manic. Oh, nice. <laughs> That's cool, dude. Well, hey, before we wrap this up, you know, if somebody wants to get in touch with you or learn about some of these courses, what's the best way for them to connect? Yeah, just drop me email. Um, you can either connect to me over Twitter at, at Manicode, M-A-N-I-C-O-D-E, or you can email me at jim at manicode.com, J-I-M at M-A-N-I-C-O-D-E.com. And manico.com is a catch-all domain for you personally, Eric. It would be W O O O O O O O O O O O O O at M A N I C O D E dot com. Perfect. Well, folks, that'll wrap it up. This is my friend uh, Jim Manico, CEO of Manicode Security. There's no way I could top that level of energy. Thanks, Jim. Thank you, Eric. It's good to be here. Thanks for listening to the future of application security. If you've enjoyed this episode or you are new to the show, I'd love to have you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss any episode. And if you like the podcast, I'd be grateful if you can leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening.